Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn to the Old Testament book of Ezra. While you're finding your place in the book of Ezra, uh, I'll just say, um, because I know that they have the ability to, uh, uh, to dub out the audio and the video, everything really is better and better. And uh, so hopefully my people won't be able to see that or pick up on the audio. But uh, we've had a great time. Just been a, just been a sweet week. And uh, just love being with the church family. Thank you so much. It's been uh, a great privilege and an honor uh, to worship here with your pastor and with you as a church family. And uh, just excited about what the Lord is doing in this great church, in this community. And would you join me in a word of prayer this evening that God would help us tonight to look into His Word, finish uh, our time of revival together, and then live on what God is teaching us. Would you join in prayer? Our Father, we do come to You tonight and just thank You for these kind and sweet people who love You, who love each other, who love this town, Lord, and want to see people, men and women and boys and girls, come to faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, thank You so much for the good music every night and What a way to end uh, this evening by listening to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are sinners saved by the good grace of Jesus. I pray, Lord, this evening that as we finish up and we look into Your Word, there would just be a uh, sweet sense of joy, camaraderie, and encouragement from the text in our hearts and that the Spirit of God would work with us tonight. We love you. We thank you for your kindness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to thank the Cedar Street Boys for singing tonight. Wasn't that wonderful? I was just absolutely, yeah. Uh, and you know, they, they, uh, they could not have ended on a, on a better song tonight as we want to talk tonight about uh, grace in revival and what that looks like. And so Sunday evening we talked a little bit about the purpose of revival, that we're to find our joy and our satisfaction in Christ alone. Then Monday evening, we talked about the conditions of revival, that we want to give God glory and honor. We want to look up to Him and we want to look down upon ourselves. And maybe uh, not in a terrible way, but in an honest way, we want to say, uh, along with um, John, that He must increase and I must decrease. And those are the conditions of revival. And then last night we talked about the plea of revival, praying and asking God that His people would wake up to the Word and wake up to His work and ultimately wake up to the wrath and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come tonight, I want us to talk a little bit about revival and that it reminds us of God's grace. And this evening, if I were to say, what is God's grace? Well, revival reminds us that the grace of God is God for us, God with us, and God through us. God for us, giving His Son to die in our place on the cross, taking in all of our sin and giving us His righteousness. It is God with us. The grace of God is that every day of our life the Lord is with us. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way, right? It is God with us. And then it is God through us, the grace of God is the Lord working through us and the 
power that He gives to us to do gospel and kingdom-centered ministry so that we go out into the highways and hedges and we go into our homes and we go into our lives and we learn to live for Jesus every day in His power. This evening, I just want to remind you that all of this happens through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who is kind to us and merciful to us and has compassion on us when we do not deserve anything but the pits of hell. Isn't that right? I was reminded uh, earlier this year I read a book and uh, the, uh, the book is really a true story about a little known Lutheran pastor in Missouri uh, back in the uh, middle 40's and toward the end of uh, World War II, he was uh, fluent in German and fluent in English. And so they flew him to England. And uh, toward the last of the war, he was dealing with the troops and ministering to them and loving on them. And, and so the war, war ended. He was in his 50s. You believe that? Back then they could draft you even if you were in your 50s. And uh, so he was ready to come home back to Missouri. And instead of that, because he was fluent in German, they said no we are going to fly you to Nuremberg and you're going to be the chaplain, the preacher to some of the world's worst butchers that have ever lived. The higher-ups who were being held accountable at the trials in Nuremberg who had extinguished the life of some six million Jewish people. They were terrible individuals. Wicked and evil and filled with demonic power. And there they were standing trial. And the uh, United States military said to this dear man, you're going to go be their preacher. For one solid year. And uh, Henry Gerke is the man's name who is the pastor. And several of the men over the course of the year, they remained atheists. They died in their sins. They would not want a visit from the chaplain. They didn't want anybody to pray for them. But along the time, Henry Gerke kept preaching the Gospel, telling them about Jesus and the saving power of Christ upon the cross to rid us of our sins and to give us His glory and His power through the saving and forgiving work of Jesus Christ. And would you not know this, that Wilhelm Heidel one of the right-hand men of Adolf Hitler went into the courtyard with Henry Gerke and fell on his knees and with tears streaming down his face asked if Christ would forgive him. And Henry Gerke led him to Jesus Christ. And when Wilhelm Heidel was hung from the gallows, he walked up holding the hands of this dear Lutheran pastor. And he said, I'm sure that Christ will lead me to the other side and I will see you there. When Henry Gierke passed away, his boys found uh, his desk. And as they were going through his desk, they found a fake drawer. And when they opened that up, they found hundreds of letters that were written to Henry over the course of that one year when he was to be the preacher and the chaplain for those evil men. And letter after letter after letter after letter cursing him and hating him 
and saying some of the most vile and wicked things. How dare you use the name of Jesus around these butchers, around these evil men who have taken the lives of so many people. They deserve to die in their sins and go to hell. How dare you do this? And he held on to those letters all of his life. I would submit to you tonight that the grace of God is that the worst individuals in the world who will bow the knee of their heart and receive Jesus Christ and their Lord and Savior can have forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for Henry Gierke that he took the Gospel to the worst of the worst. And I want to say along with Cedar Street tonight, I think all of us on this final night, maybe we should just have a tender heart to say thank You Lord for having grace in my life. I never murdered a bunch of people. I never did some of the evil things that they've done. But would it be fair tonight for all of us to look in our life and say, you know what? I've told lies. I've thought bad thoughts. I've said things to people that I wish I would have never said. When I open up God's Word and I look at the Ten Commandments, I understand in just a moment of time that I am guilty of all of those commandments. So Steve, are you guilty of murder? I would remind you that in the New Testament, Jesus says that if you have anger in your heart toward another person, that it is as if you had committed murder. Why does Jesus say that? Because He wants you to understand beyond the realm of the Pharisees who only looked on the outward, that murder is an outward manifestation of an inward attitude of anger. And Jesus wants every person in this room tonight to understand that you do not escape the Ten Commandments, that you too are guilty as sin. You may say, I've never committed adultery on my wife or on my husband. But Jesus says, if you look on another to lust after them, you've already committed it in your heart. We're all guilty. And Jesus died for all of us. Maybe this evening, the sweetness and the grace of revival is for all of us together to think together for a few minutes about God's marvelous and wonderful and good grace in Jesus Christ. So let me just point out a couple of things, maybe three things in this passage tonight to you. Look with me if you would at Ezra chapter number 9. One verse this evening. Look down at verse number 8. But now for a brief moment, favor, or that is the word for grace, but now for a brief moment, favor, God's grace, has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within His holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Because it's one verse, would you just look at that again and soak this in and listen to the Word read and look on it upon your eyes and ask God to breathe life and rejoicing and grace into your heart 
and let this verse minister to you. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by our Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within His holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Let me make three points for you tonight and we'll be finished. The first one is this. God's grace is time sensitive. Let me say that for you again. God's grace, God's mercy, God's favor, God's forgiveness is time sensitive. Look back at the verse if you would. But now, that is in this moment, but now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God. Ezra is praying on behalf of the children of Israel who are being devastated in judgment over their sin. They have been carried away captive and now they are trying to come back and they are still in the early parts of this chapter sinning against God. They are, they are marrying uh, people and living together who have other gods, false gods, who are not worshiping the God of heaven. And Ezra comes along in his prayer and says, maybe in this moment in this solitary time right now and I want all of us this evening on this Wednesday night to understand whether you're 9 or 19 or 99 you do not have all the time in the world to come to Jesus Christ His grace is time sensitive Isn't that what it says in the book of Genesis? The Bible says, My spirit shall not always dwell with man. The Bible teaches in the New Testament that there is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible says in the book of James that our life is even a vapor. As I said last night, Jesus said, while you have the light, believe in the light, for you'll not always have the light. And I want to say to you this evening, if you are under the sound of my voice, and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and let me back up and maybe make that clear for you. If you do not, if you look over the last 7 to 14 days of your life, and you do not have an ongoing, interactive relationship with Jesus Christ, you're lost. Saved people are changed people. And if you're in here tonight, I want you to understand, you do not get saved when you want to. You you can't get saved when you want to. You get saved when God allows you to. And you say, Steve, why is that important for us to talk about that for a minute? Because there's so many people who play religion with the Lord and they kind of are in and out of church and they do their thing. And in their mind, they kind of think, well, you know what? Uh, if, I, if I want Jesus, I'll get Him. I'm kind of like my life like it is. And I'll take a little bit of Jesus. I'll put a little bit of Jesus back. When I get to a certain age, when I get to a certain set of life, when I marry and settle down with children, then I'll give my life to Jesus. When I retire from my work, then I'll give my life to Jesus. I'll receive Him then. I want you to understand, you are not the one in control of your salvation. You are the one that stands in need of Jesus to save you. Salvation doesn't happen this way. I'll take Jesus. Salvation happens this way. Will you take me, Jesus? 
What if Jesus doesn't take you? What if you're in this room this evening and you can't get saved? I want you to feel that for a moment. You do not hold the Lord Jesus in subjection. He's up here. We're down here. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Him, His grace and His mercy and His compassion want to rush in on your life. But you must stand at a helpless and a hopeless position and cry out to Him and say, Oh Christ, will You take me? Please save me. Please come to me. I can't save myself. All of my righteousness is as filthy rags. For we are saved by grace and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of our own works, lest any human being boast before God. If you're in here tonight, whether you're a believer or whether you're lost, salvation always happens at our most helpless point when we say, I want Him to save me. Please save me. Salvation is not something that you take or leave on your terms. Salvation is something that you run to Jesus and beg for Him to save you. You know what the New Testament says? Now is the day of salvation. I really want you to feel that this evening. That God has grace and mercy and favor. That He loves you. And He wants to take you to heaven. But that God's grace is time sensitive. You do not have all of your life to come to Him. And you do not have all of your life to, save, uh, to serve Him. Let me just maybe tell you this and I'll move quickly through the next few points. Um, so my wife and I, uh, since we're just family... My wife and I have uh, been married 11 years. And uh, we've tried all of these years uh, to have children. It's been the great desire of our life. And God's not seen fit to allow that to happen. And uh, two years ago, we entered into the adoption process. And uh, God graciously in February allowed us to adopt our baby boy, James. And you know, um, for a long time, uh, I, I, I do funerals. I've done hundreds of funerals and ministered in many contexts. And you know, as a pastor, you're trying to relate to everybody. And, and I even teach and preach before this to men and women who had boys and girls, uh, not out of an arrogance or not out of my own wisdom, because the Bible teaches you how to raise children. But there's something different when you have a child, right? There's something different when for the first time you think, okay, this is something new. I took, uh, my wife and I took our baby boy to his first pediatrician's appointment and I had a funeral at 11 o'clock. So I go in my full suit and uh, put, put my boy down there and the lady, the nurse says, uh, he's naked, he's on the thing, said, hey, pick him up and put him on the scale. And uh, so, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing, so I, I think you're supposed to cover something up and wait a second. <laughs> I just reached down and grabbed him and little buddy... Did his business all over my tie. I had no time to go home and change, so I grabbed about 15 wipes and started trying to get it off. I get to the funeral, and I can tell that I smell like child urine. 
If there would have been a bottle of brood or old spice, I'd have been showering with it. But... And I get to the funeral, and it's a 27-year-old young man who's died because he took too much heroin that night. And he was a complete atheist. His mom and dad were Catholic and all of his friends came to the funeral and they were all atheists and I'm sharing the Gospel and in the middle of sharing the Gospel, one of his friends gets up and starts calling me out in the service so much so that the funeral director had to come threaten to take them out of the service. And we go to the, uh, we go to the cemetery and um, we do the little service there and this boy's mom is laying over the casket, weeping. And it dawned on me just like that, like never before. 27 years ago, she took that boy to a pediatrician's and held that child in her arms. And now his life is gone. And he's made all the decisions he was ever going to make in this life. And it was the oddest funeral I had ever been to in my life. You might have been to some. It's just a little different for me. Nobody moved when it was finished. Everyone stayed under the tent. Even after the funeral director said, this concludes our service. You know, usually under the tent, people mill about. Then they go or they eat together. Nobody moved. And they stayed and they stayed and they stayed. And time kept passing. And finally, the funeral director uh, moved off to the side and they came in and they started doing all of the mechanical things they do and nobody moved until they put the seal on the top of the casket and lowered it completely in the grave. That was the first time I had seen that entire process and it made me understand that this is final for Him. Brothers and sisters, this Wednesday night, whether you're here tonight and you do not know Christ, or whether you're here tonight and you do know Christ, I want you to know that God's grace and favor and mercy is available to you. He loves you. He will come to you. If you have a broken and a contrite heart, if you call out to Him and say, Lord, save me, He runs to you. He loves to you. He'll come to you. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. He wants to put your marriages together. He wants, you to have, he wants to help raise your children. He wants to put His grace and His favor and His mercy and His kindness in your life. But grace is time sensitive. And if you don't come to Him, and if you don't talk to Him, you may not have another chance. What is your life? It's even a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. You don't have as much time as you think you do. And the decisions that you make now are eternally important. A lot of times when I do a funeral for unbelievers, I get nervous in my heart. No, I've never had a family, never gone to a funeral where a family said, yep, we know Johnny's in hell. Nobody does that. You know what they do? They scratch and claw for any sign of hope. 
And oftentimes I'll quote the Old Testament Scripture, shall not the God of all the earth do justly? I don't stand in the place of judgment. But I tell you, grace is time sensitive. Trust Jesus tonight. Walk with Jesus tonight. And His mercy and favor will fill your life. Look with me if you would at this second point. God's grace is still saving people and still securing His church. Look at what it says here. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God. And what does that favor, what does that grace look like? To leave us a remnant. That is, that when the children of Israel were in their sin and in their wickedness, though things looked bad, though times were hard, God was still calling out His remnant of believers who would trust in Him and trust in the Messiah to come. Is there anybody that looks on the news and you think, man, the world is bad? Isn't that the way it is? I heard somebody say one time, if God doesn't judge America soon, He'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? The world is bad. Our nation is bad. There's all kinds of problems that are going on. But God is still saving people. Do you know that? God is still saving people in this town. I worked uh, as, at a rescue mission for a number of years. And uh, after a while, you've kind of become callous in your heart. I see guys come in and go out and come in and go out. And they had like a jailhouse religion. They knew what to say. They had heard all the songs. They had been preached John 3.16 a thousand times. And sometimes you think, man, nobody here is going to get saved. But the Gospel still works. And God is still redeeming people. And every once in a while, there would be a diamond in the rough. And God would do a work of salvation and forgiveness in the heart of an unbeliever. And they would come to faith in Him. And I want to encourage you, church, God's grace is still saving people in the town of Mether. Amen? Amen. You keep preaching this Gospel. You keep loving people. You keep sharing the Gospel out there. You keep inviting unbelievers in. They'll come in. They'll say things. Some of them won't get saved. Some of them will fall away. I tell you, there is good soil in Mether. There are people in this town who need to hear the Gospel. And they'll respond with repentance and faith. Are there those who are on the stony way? Yes. Are those, there are those where the birds will come in and take the seed? Yes. Are there those that will sprout up and the sun will scorch their life and they'll fall away? Of course that's the way it is. But is there good ground and good soil in this city? I promise you, they are out there. And God is still saving people by His grace. Grace of revival is that Jesus is still on the throne and He is still saving men and women and boys and girls. Don't give up. Keep sharing. There's some people in my church that say, Pastor, I share the Gospel and nobody gets saved. It's not up to you who gets saved. Just be that conduit and be a witness and let the power of the Holy Spirit work upon some poor sinner's heart. They may hear it and reject it, but keep sharing and Jesus will save. He does the work. The grace of God is that people are still getting saved and God has given you a secure hope in this community, Cedar Street Baptist Church. Amen? In some of your versions it will say, He's given us a peg 
or He's given us a nail, what it means is He has given us a secure community. And brothers and sisters, this is your sure spot in your life. You ought to be here every time the doors are open. That you can. Of course there's vacations. Of course your pastor understands things. Don't lay out a church. Come to church. Minister to other people. Can I tell you this? You cannot worship God on the riverbank as well as you can together. You need, it's not a Lone Ranger religion. You need the people that are in this room. You need to serve. You need to be sharpened. You need to be challenged. This is your secure community. I want you to understand this, that the church is an outpost of life in the world of death. All of the rest of the world, they do not have what you have. They do not have Christ at the center of their heart. And red and yellow and black and white, we come together in this place with Jesus Christ being our King. Hey, this is your family. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. Anybody in here ever go to a family reunion? Yeah? I'm sure, hopefully, I won't say somebody's. You've probably got some crazy Uncle Ledbetter somewhere. There's nobody in here named Ledbetter, please. <laughs> you know you've got an Aunt Bertha somewhere, and I mean, she cannot stop talking. Her name is Sister Flappy Jaws, right? You know what I'm saying? Listen, you, go, you know there's people. You go and you're just like, yeah, that's them, right? There's that one person that comes to talk to you and they invade your personal space, right? And they're all up in your mix. Your family, aren't you? And you just take them like they are. And you love them. And if they call you in the middle of the night, you tell your wife to answer the phone. <laughs> now you go help. You go love. Let me tell you something. This is your family. I say that blood is thicker than water. That's only true if you're talking about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's some of you in this room didn't have such good upbringings. When you think of God as Father, it brings bad things to your mind. When you think about uh, the grace of God, you think about a family that wasn't there for you. I want you to understand this family is here for you. And your Father loves you. And your pastor cares for you. And the people in these pews are going to watch out for you. You have a secure hope by the grace of God. Well, let me give you one more point. We'll finish tonight. God's grace is time sensitive. God's grace still saves and secures His church. God's grace gives us light and love. Look at what it says back down in the text. But now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within His holy place. Why? That our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. You know why God saves people and gives you a church? So that he may open your eyes. That He may... The Bible says, Open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. 
The Bible teaches that when we get saved, the scales fall from our eyes and we find the glory of Christ as we stare into the face of Jesus. He is there to bring a lightening to our eyes so that we may see how we are to live every day. The more we understand the Word, the more we understand Christ, the more we understand how to live with each other and how to live in a lost world and how to have wisdom and prudence. God saves us and by His grace and by His Word and by His Spirit, He allows us to live in this world in a wise way because our eyes have been opened. Lost people are the blind leading the blind. Saved people have the grace and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and they know how to live. And that He might grant us a little reviving. Not just the way to live, but the way to love. That there would be a joy and a rejoicing in our heart and that we would learn to love other people. God's grace brings the love of Jesus to us. Amen? And our hearts are revived as we think about the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. Where's the greatest demonstration of love in all the world? Three nails, two boards, on the cross of Calvary, Jesus died for us. No greater demonstration in all the world of the grace of God and the love of Christ than when Jesus hangs on the cross and dies for us and provides that model so that we may come to Him and lay down our life and pick up our own cross and follow Him and love the world that is around us and love each other. He has called us out that He might call us in to the service and the grace of Jesus. God has saved you by His marvelous grace. Are you rejoicing in that tonight, church? Are you living with the sweetness and the goodness of God in your soul? This morning early, I was kind of just reading and praying and thinking. And uh, I'm not going to sing it for you because the folks up here sing much better than me. But uh, one of my favorite songs is uh, New Grace. And if you've never heard that before, the opening line says, All of grace is my story all the way from earth to glory. I'm not sure what's going on in your life. We've had a few nights together, but some of you are holding burdens deep within your own soul. And you laugh around other people and you smile. And maybe you came to this revival thinking that you would find something different. But we're talking heart to heart. And you know in your life right now that God's brought you to a moment of grace. For some of you that are lost, It's the moment that you actually break and you talk to Him and say, I'm tired of living life on my own terms. I'm tired of trying to be my own Savior. I do believe that Your Son died for my sins and rose again. And from this moment forward, if You will have me, 
If you'll have grace on me, I'll trust you. There are other brothers and sisters in here, and man, I've been pounding you pretty hard the past few days to kick out the sin of your life and get real with Jesus and serve Him. And maybe one more last time, I would tell you if there is anything between you and the Savior, you ever heard that old song? Nothing between my soul and the Savior. If there is anything between you and the Savior, this is the night, this is the moment of favor and grace. Let it go. Give it over. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll make your heart right. And there are others of you in here tonight. I know you, sweet saints. You love Jesus. You're working, but you're tired. You're wounded. You've been hurt. Something's gone wrong. Your your confidence in Jesus has been shaken. You prayed for something and it hasn't happened. Somebody has said something and it's disturbed your soul. There's a resentment. There's a bitterness. There's something deep and latent in your heart that brings fear and trembling and frustration. This is the moment of grace. Why don't you give that to Him tonight? Why don't you talk to Him tonight? What if I leave here and nothing changes? What if you leave here and it does? What if I don't see the answer tonight? What if you see it tomorrow? What if I go the rest of my life and I have to hurt and I have this pain? Sitting in Bo's office earlier today, man, that brother's got quotes all over the place. Isn't he great at that? He told me an old quote by Charles Spurgeon that I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What if God never takes that burden from you, my friend? But in your pain and in your discouragement and in your hurt, you look a little more like Jesus. This is the moment of grace. God wants to have grace in your life. You want to get to the end of your life, whether it's short or whether it's long, and be able to say, all of grace is my story. All the way from earth to glory.